FM 104 is switched on and I'm joined by Eric Berger, Senior Space Editor with Airs Technica. Hello. Hey, Louise. Thank you so much for chatting to us. So there's a lot happening around space and space, space missions at the moment. I suppose one of the ones that I was keeping an eye on there last week, it was the Peregrine Mission 1, first US moon landing since 1972, but it didn't quite go to plan, did it? No, it certainly did not. The, um, the Peregrine spacecraft uh, launched normally on the Vulcan rocket. It separated from the rocket normally and it, it sort of started stretching it out, but then it developed a leak of um, one of the gases that's used to pressurize its propellant tanks. And that was really um, the beginning of some serious problems with that. Which is quite a shame. Once you kind of get it that far, you would love to be able for it to kind of keep on going, right? Yeah, I mean, it was really for Peregrine, it was kind of the beginning of the mission because the ultimate goal here was to land on the moon. Mm. Um, and that's something that no private company has really succeeded at before. So they were trying to become the first to do that. And it was also part of the United States return to the moon, um, NASA and, and the Artemis program. So they, you know, they didn't even get to the moon. Um, and really the most difficult part of the mission is, you know, making that controlled descent down to the lunar surface. Mm-hmm. There was quite a bit of controversy around this mission as well, wasn't there? Yeah, it kind of cropped up toward the, the last days of the launch. The Navajo Nation here, um, an Indian um, tribe here in the United States, objected to human remains landing on the moon um, for various reasons. They Going back, they had an agreement with NASA to get, you know, um, sort of permission from them before one of these missions happened in the future. Now, the the difficult thing here is that, you know, this was a private mission. Peregrine was built by a company called Astrobotic, launched by a private company, United Launch Alliance. And so while NASA was a customer on board, they did not have the ultimate say. However, my understanding is that NASA really did take some pretty serious steps in the last days before the launch, you know, delaying the rollout of the mission and trying to appease the concerns of the Navajo Nation. Yeah, because... I don't know. It seems kind of an unusual one for me. Like, were, were they just going to leave it there? Was that the whole plan? Yeah, the idea was that there's a company called Celestis, and some people like to have their DNA remains yeah. um, put into space. And so there's some of these some of these vehicles out there flying in space, and you know, Celestis this time was offering an opportunity to actually have remains landed on the moon. Mm-hmm. Um, and for some people, that's that's very important for other people probably don't really care. Um, But uh, they had customers and, uh, and and that was really the source of the concern with the Navajo nation. Can we see this happening again? Do you think? Yeah, absolutely. We're going to see this happening again. Uh, The astrobotic mission, the Peregrine spacecraft was the first of the many U S commercial missions to the moon. We've also seen commercial efforts in Japan um, and elsewhere around the world. The fact of the matter is that as the price of launching stuff has come down, it's become you know a little bit easier and more cost effective to launch spacecraft to the moon. And kind of the next step we're seeing is companies building spacecraft that can land on the moon. And again, this was kind of one of the first of these, but there's many more coming, probably at least 10 U.S. attempts, attempts alone within the next two or three years. I find it so interesting that there's so many private agency now leaving for space. This can only be a good thing, surely. Yeah, it's, it's space has really opened up. You know, in the 1960s, 70s, and 80s, it was really the United States and the Soviet Union. And since then, it's broadened to China, to, to Europe, to Japan, to India. 
Um, and today you have a multiplicity of international space agencies you know, acting around the world. We've seen lots of growth in the Middle East in, in recent years, but there's also just this increasing amount of commercial activity as companies are trying to figure out a way to make money in orbit on the surface of the moon and beyond. Which I think is amazing. I love that we're doing so much work around space at the moment as well. Another one that left on mission was SpaceX's Dragon. So they docked in the International Space Station. What is their plan while they're there? Yes, this is the Axiom 3 mission uh, carrying four people. Uh, They're all European. Uh, One one of the astronauts is is Spanish-American, but they're all basically from Europe. It's the first time that's ever happened. It's an entirely private mission to the International Space Station. So the crew of four will go up. They've docked with the U.S. segment of the space station, um, and they're basically, you know, doing some research, but also being touristy. Um, the cost of this is about 55 million U.S. dollars, um, and you get to spend about 10 days in orbit uh, before you come back to Earth. How much training do you get if you're kind of just going for a holiday? That's a great question. You know, these these people have you know paid their money, and they've been in training for the last six months. So and a lot of that is, you know, it's not like they have to fly the spacecraft. The Dragon vehicle is autonomous, can fly itself to and from the space station. There's also an experienced astronaut on board, Michael Lopez Alegria. Um, he flew multiple times for NASA's flown on Crew Dragon before. He's commanding the mission, so they don't touch the spacecraft controls. Um, more, more so, it's um, sort of safely inhabiting the space station, so they don't touch anything up there that breaks anything mm-hmm. or causes issues. That's something I would love because I saw they were going for 10 days. Like it's almost like a holiday from work. You could just pop up and have a goo and come back down. Like it just sounds fascinating to me. It it would be a pretty amazing experience. Mm -hmm. I will say that a significant subset of people suffer some pretty severe space sickness. So, you know, you know, you you begin weightlessness about seven or eight minutes after after launching and, Mm -hmm. and that can be a pretty rough transition. And then for the first 24 to 48 hours, a lot of NASA astronauts who had a lot more training, you know, got pretty sick and then eventually acclimated to the microgravity environment. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, who, I certainly would love to go to the space station and hang out for 10 days. You know, when NASA astronauts, ESA astronauts, European Space Agency astronauts go up there, I mean, they're up there for six months um, and they're working. They have like very detailed lists of things they have to accomplish. So it's very much a job. In this case, you know, the, the private astronauts talk a game about doing research and things like that, but they're having they're having lots of time up there to do, look out the window and float around and do lots of other cool things you can do in space. But as you were saying, it comes with some um, complications sometimes for people. So to be aware, Absolutely. I suppose, if you're planning on, not that the general person is going to be flying to space, but, you know, if you're ever thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you've got $55 million sitting just, around. You yeah, can just in your back pocket. You're also going to be releasing the sequel to Liftoff titled Reentry. Tell us about your new book. Yeah, so, you know, the biggest story in spaceflight of the 21st century really has been the rise of SpaceX. They've implemented, you know, re- reusable launch um, with the Falcon 9 rocket. Um, you know, after 10 years after the space shuttle's retirement, they got NASA back in the human spaceflight game with Crew Dragon vehicle we spoke about earlier. They now operate by a factor of 10 more satellites than any company or country in the world with their Starlink internet constellation. And it's really been, they've been really aggressive about opening up access to space and driving down costs. And so that's, you know, I wanted to write a story about the Falcon 9 rocket 
and Dragon, but particularly how they they've mastered reuse. And this is you, you see the rockets go up and then they come back and they either land on a barge in the ocean or they land you know at the launch site. It looks really super cool and futuristic. Um, turns out that was really difficult to do. Mm. Um, so I wanted to explore really the story of the Falcon 9 development and, and how they got through all those very difficult challenges. So I talked to many dozens of people who worked at SpaceX and you know worked with Elon Musk and solved those problems. And it's really their story of, of their struggles and ultimately their triumph. I saw Elon Musk uh, reply to you on X wanting you to do a, a third one. So he obviously has plans coming. <laughs> You know, it's interesting. Elon was super helpful for liftoff. I talked to him less for this book, so I was a little bit surprised <laughs> to see that. But, but you know, eventually I, I would love to write a story about or a book about Starship. But, mm. but we're really at the beginning of that narrative, so I think that such a book would be many years away in I, the future. I'd imagine so. So when is this book released? Uh, September 24th. It will be released in the U.S. and the U.K. And, and lots of other places. Excellent. Eric Berger, Senior Space Editor at Airs Technica. Thank you so much for chatting to us. Thank you, Louise.